I think the quintessential joke is what's brown and sticky. Sounds simple. What's brown and sticky? A stick. But I'm bump. <laughs> right? It's the look over here kind of joke. Um, what wobbles in the sky? A jellycopter. What okay. do you call a flying yeah. skunk? A smelly copter. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of wordplay jokes in our house. Welcome to the Signal Podcast. That's CBC host and comedy buff Bill Roach, kicking things off with some cheesy kid jokes. I'm Grace Power. And I'm Colin Slark. We're students with the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. Today, we're talking about all things laughter. Grace, you've heard the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, right? Sure. Makes you wonder what's actually going on physiologically. Well, listen to this. <laughs> well, that... While that strange woman I've probably never met was laughing, muscles throughout her face and body stretched. Her heart sped up and her blood pressure increased. She started breathing faster, sending more oxygen to her tissues. Kind of like what happens after a good workout. Our colleague Nick Frew did a bit of research. Turns out laughter is a response from the subcortical region of your brain. That's the same part of the brain that controls essential survival functions. Our motor skills, memory, eating, sleep, emotions, and the senses. So laughter could be as old as Homo sapiens. David Begun is an anthropologist at the University of Toronto. He researches the evolution of humans and chimps. He says chimps do something that looks like laughter, but it isn't a reaction to humor. Chimps uh, do things, they emit sounds, and they have facial expressions that look very similar to humans, human expressions of laughter. And they generally occur um, when there are tense situations that need to be um, where appeasement is necessary, in other words, where there's a possibility of some sort of aggression, and a chimp makes a gesture of appeasement, a laughter, a kind of sound or gesture that calms down another chimp that's agitated in some way. Begun may have just explained why people laugh in awkward situations, but he also notes that chimps are not comedians. Chimps don't tell jokes. There is no... Um, sense of humor in chimpanzee, or for that matter, in any any primate behavioral social system that I know of. There are uh, chimps that sort of play tricks on other chimps in the sense that they might hide things from them, or they might there might be some teasing, you know, physical kind of teasing. But the communication system isn't developed to the degree that a chimp could tell a joke where, you know, there's a story and then there's a surprise in it, which is, you know, the essence of a joke. Well, some humans don't know how to make a joke either, Colin. Hey! Just kidding, kidding. But it's interesting to know what happens in our bodies when we laugh. And speaking of laughter physiology, stay tuned. We'll find out later whether you can actually die from laughing. Whether or not you can die of laughter, you could certainly say some people have a killer laugh. It's not hard to find King's professor Laura Penny. 
Usually, her presence is announced by the sound of her notoriously booming laugh. Well, the first time I actually heard her laugh was when I was in first year, and I think she got very drunk. And in the middle of someone doing a speech, I just hear from the corner of the room just this loud, almost indescribable noise. And I was like, what is that? And everyone was like, it's Laura Penny's laugh. In the, in the NAB, when you go to the third floor, just as the elevator reaches the top, there's a sound. It very suddenly will fill the entire room in a, an utterly terrifying, but also very joyous cackle. It's cacophonous, it's filling, it's, it's like a, symp- it's a symphony. I find it remarkable how it can go from like 100% to zero so quickly, and from zero to 100% so quickly as well. She can just be sitting there quietly, and then suddenly this amazing loud laugh erupts out of her, but then just as quickly as it erupted, it also can just be gone and she's back to being normal. I am at best a reluctant authority figure, so I think telling a lot of jokes and laughing a lot helps kind of bridge the gap between me and students, I hope. I think sometimes people can be self-serious in academia. Like, I take what I do very seriously, but there's no need to comport yourself in a kind of self-serious way. Academia can be kind of alienating when it gets too serious. And I hope the fact that I'm a huge goof breaks down some of that super seriousness that can sometimes attend academia. Sometimes there's just two beats to it, and then sometimes it goes on for a long time, and it always goes like, what, what, and then it can trail off. A record scratching like over and over again, but amplified and then slowed down. I would describe it uh, a goose. It's like a goose. It's almost like a caw from a crow, but uh, very loud, explosive, just uh, kind of pops out of nowhere. It's like, ha! <laughs> like that. I can't do it. (laughs) I don't know. I feel bad. (laughs) I can't. But it makes me laugh, so that's a good thing. I just see a lot of stuff as funny, which is not always socially appropriate. (laughs) I cannot do otherwise at this late date. Once a month, you're guaranteed a giggle at the Kesh and Goodman Public Library. At Laughter Yoga Club, everyone's free to cackle, chuckle, and chortle away. For no reason at all. My name is Helen Fong, and I am a certified laughter yoga leader. I'd like you to raise your gaze so you're looking across the room. So laughter yoga is uh, breathing exercises in the form of laughter. Um, where we fake laughter because the brain doesn't know the difference between real and willing laughter.
It first originated from a medical doctor um, in Mumbai, India, uh, Dr. Madan Kataria. Laughter is beneficial only when you laugh a bit louder, heartily, coming from your diaphragm. <laughs> who developed kind of laughter. laughter yoga exercises formally in 1995 with his wife, Madhura Kateria, who's a yoga teacher. I come regularly and I took it regularly every week at one point. I think it helps you to relax, you know. I mean, life is busy even if you're retired. There's always seems to be something to do, so... So I, I enjoy it. There is this one fella, and he's, he's come to the Laughter Yoga Club quite a few times since the beginning. Um, and he has Down syndrome, and he's deaf, and he is uh, in need of a, a caregiver to be with him um, during the session. So uh, I had no idea he was deaf. Um, at the end of it, he came right up, or even in the middle of it, he came right up to me and he signed language thank you to me. And also you could hear him say thank you. And he went back to his chair. And I, I nearly cried because it was just amazing. And I'd seen him a few times afterwards. So I was like, okay, I got to keep doing this because this isn't just affecting um, how I feel. Like I love it, like laughing and laughing with people in a group but I felt like it really affected people who may not be able to communicate with people in the way that we normally do. <laughs> but what I really like most about laughter yoga is that it helps to bring people together. That was laughter yoga instructor Helen Fong and laughter yoga regular Joan Lebrun. You're listening to The Signal Podcast. We're with the King's School of Journalism. You can hear more of our work by following us on Twitter and Instagram. We're Signal Radio HFX. Remember Bill Roach with his bad kid jokes at the top of the podcast? Well, here he is again, thinking about how jokes and comedy, well, they've had to change with the times. We're in such a weird spot right now in 2018 where humor is almost out of fashion now because you just don't know who you're going to upset. So what jokes can you tell? You can tell jokes about rocks or about trees or about ducks with grapes, but you can't tell jokes about particular people. You can't tell jokes about gender or race the way that George Burns and Jack Benny and Henny Youngman you know you know take my wife please Henny Youngman would never fly in 2018 it's true you can easily offend people with humor for example i think we all can agree that sexual assault is nothing to joke about but there may be one exception writer and comedian heather jordan ross is a survivor of sexual assault in 2016, she and other survivors toured across Canada with their comedy show, Rape is Real and Everywhere, Rape Jokes by Survivors. Ross went to school here in Halifax, but now lives in Vancouver. She told us how her experience of sexual assault became part of her routine. Just a heads up, 
What you're about to hear includes jokes from a show in Halifax where she recounts first-hand experiences of rape. So if that's not something you want to hear, skip ahead about four minutes. This is a very safe space for survivors, but it is a dangerous space for a rapist. <laughs> so my name is Heather Jordan-Roth, and I'm a writer and stand-up comedian. I didn't, I wasn't talking about it on stage. And it actually felt worse to not talk about it on stage because I wasn't talking about it to anyone. Instead, it was just kind of this thing festering inside me. So one night I was out for a drink with a friend. That friend was Emma Cooper. And I said, I kind of want to make rape jokes all the time. And I kind of never want to hear a rape joke again. And she said, well, wouldn't it be just perfect if there was a show where you did rape jokes, but it was only Survivor's? And we just kind of sat there for a second. We're like, oh, yeah, we have to make this. <laughs> I got raped in Burnaby outside of Vancouver, which is like getting raped in Bedford. <laughs> a bad place is just awkward. But it took me a while to realize that it was sexual assault. Um, it happened um, a, almost a full year went by, a year and a half. And then my uh, rapist contacted me. And that's what kind of triggered me to realize, oh, something really bad actually happened. And so then it just kind of tumbled from there. So I was, uh, I was sexually assaulted uh, two years ago by a coworker. Um, he messaged me a year later and was like, let's hang Jen. And I was like, no. <laughs> I want to do this. And it's, uh, it's funny. So when I was sexually assaulted, I was kind of like too broke and too busy to be a survivor, you know, like I, I was a part-time fishmonger and a part-time waitress, and I was doing open mics four nights a week. And so I was like, I left his house that morning, and I was like, we're just gonna talk this one to I actually, this is crazy, but I actually told jokes about my sexual assault immediately after I reported my sexual assault. I reported that day, and I had agreed to do a show, and I went on stage, and I just blathered about the fact that I had just reported my sexual assault. No one knew it was coming. No one enjoyed it. I was just like, oh, well, guys, uh, this happened. And it was not great. By the time I finally did report, I was kind of like really indignant about the type of uh, victim I was, which is like, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect victim. So when I went in, I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, we were coworkers, we were sleeping together, yeah. I slept with a lot of people those days, and I was a Hitler youth. No, I wasn't. So, people have a real range of experiences. People start going to therapy after seeing our show. You know, and the show's not all survivors, I have to say. Like, sometimes it's people that just are interested in a in a cool show. Um, but yeah, survivors definitely do a lot of crying, do a lot of, you know, understanding. One of the things that moved me most, I believe we were in Edmonton, and it wasn't even at our show. We had gone to an open mic afterwards and performed, and I came off stage, and this girl came up to me, no words, gave me a hug, and just started crying so hard that I just knew. And so I just hugged her back, and that's what she needed. Uh, people that talk about the rage you have, which is like this teen boy rage. Like, I know, like, this stiff shoulder on the sidewalk, where it's like, if you lean a little bit over, I've got a full rugby shoulder waiting for you. <laughs> I'm not proud of myself, it's just factual. I was trying to just say something that didn't bum people out too hard, but also shared what I was going through, and I had finally found 
an avenue to, to say it because I was finally, you know, speaking my truth. That was Heather Jordan-Ross. She's a King's Journalism grad who now lives in Vancouver. If you would have told me as a kid that I was going to graduate high school and, and go on to be on Saturday Night Live and then eventually be the host of The Tonight Show, I would have said, I graduated high school? That is so not me. That's so not like me. Have you ever wondered why you find certain things funny? Research has shown there's a relationship between sense of humor and personality. Research has shown that both of mine are perfect. Okay, Colin, but seriously. We asked a few people whether they could describe their sense of humor. Here are Sarah Fami, Omar Fami, and Iman Sumi. Sami. I feel like my sense of humor is expressive. I find my jokes punny. I like puns. I feel like I'm a clumsy personality. I find people doing clumsy things like happening to them is funny to me too. That was a conversation about humor and personality. Rod Martin is a psychology professor at the University of Western Ontario. He's studied that connection. His research categorizes a sense of humor into four different types, and each type is used for different reasons. The first one is called affiliative. It's the type of humor used to make people feel more comfortable in social situations. Here are Omar Fami and Iman Sami again. I find that uh, it's, uh, being funny is a way to break the ice, like saying jokes. It uh, doesn't matter if I don't know the person. It's a great way to express yourself. I use sense of humor to break the ice and when it's awkward or like when someone's like mad, I start being funny and sarcastic. Omar and Iman would say they fall under the affiliative category because they're extroverted. Another type of humor, aggressive humor, is related to a lack of thoughtfulness. It includes making jokes about others in an insulting way. Take your hat off. Wait, false alarm. Keep it on. I saw your hand. No, no. No, no. And then there's self-defeating humor, when people make fun of themselves. It's often used by people who want to beat their bullies to the punch. And finally, the self-enhancing type of humor is when you make fun of yourself, but in a healthy way, in order to cope with stress. I feel like my, uh, my sense of humor is I'm just goofy, so I feel like I don't really have a lot of jokes, but I'm like the way that I act, so I guess that's what I like too. That's Sarah Femi. Her sense of humor falls under the self-enhancing humor type. This type of humor is related to openness in a personality. The study also shows that the relationship between sense of humor and personality is based on genetic or environmental factors. My sense of humor might be influenced by my mom because my mom was a very like expressive person and she's, she's always making fun and like impersonating and stuff like that. So I feel like maybe that's why I also laugh at that stuff because that's what I grew up with. I think it's uh, from shows, I think Friends, uh, there's a TV character named Chandler. So there's more to a joke than we may think. Yeah. If we read between the punchlines, we might get to know someone better. Hey Grace, we talked earlier about laughter being the best medicine and what goes on in the body when we laugh. But have you heard the expression, die laughing? Yeah. And sometimes when you hear a joke, you might say, you're killing me. Right. Did you ever see that movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No, I haven't. It's a half-cartoon, half-live-action movie. There are these cartoon weasels in it that laugh themselves to death. Cool. <laughs> One of these days you're gonna die laughing. <laughs> hey, Daddy! Keep it up! You're killing him! You're slaying him! 
okay, yeah, but those are cartoon weasels. That couldn't happen to us. Well, there have been documented cases of laughing causing negative effects on the human body. Up to and including death? The medical journal The Neurologist published a case in 2012 of a 42-year-old man who had a history of fainting after laughing. The doctors said there were no other factors contributing to the fainting. They concluded the cause was shortness of breath and a change in blood pressure brought on by the laughter. And there was a similar story in another medical journal in 1997. A man laughed so hard at the antics of George on Seinfeld that he went temporarily blind. But fainting and blindness, neither of those is death. Well, looks like I have to bring out the big guns. I have tape from last century that features a man writing a joke so funny he laughed himself off this mortal coil. This man is Ernest Scribbler, writer of jokes. In a few moments, he will have written the funniest joke in the world, and as a consequence, he will die laughing. <laughs> Colin, that's a Monty Python clip. <sighs> All right, you caught me. I guess you want real proof. Yes, I do. Yeah. All right, so a, a man in England died in 1975 while laughing at an episode of a sitcom called The Goodies. His daughter later developed a heart condition, and doctors believed that he probably had it as well. And... The movie A Fish Called Wanda is supposed to have led a Danish audiologist to laugh himself to death in 1989. Oh, really? Although I can't exactly find hard evidence to back that claim up, just mentions on listicle sites. Mm -hmm. But how about this? A 2003 CBS News article mentions that a man in Thailand died while laughing. No way. But an autopsy suggested it was because of a heart attack. So can you actually prove that laughter alone can lead to dying? I guess not. But maybe laughter can prevent you from being killed by a rampaging Austrian. You're a funny guy, Sally. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Isn't that Commando? Yes. Arnold definitely kills that guy later on in the movie. All right. I give up. Laughter might not be able to kill you by itself. But it might make you faint. Or go blind. Or it could trigger symptoms from a pre-existing conditions. In the right circumstances, you really can't have a last laugh. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line! <laughs> now before we go... We challenge listeners on Twitter to see if they can tell the difference between a dog and Mariah Carey in this clip. One. <laughs> Two. <laughs> if you said the first one was Mariah Carey and the second one was the dog, then you were wrong. It's the other way around. If you got it right, good for you. I'm sure you've made Mariah very proud. You've been listening to The Signal Podcast, the laughter edition. Need another laugh? Want to hear it again? Follow us on Twitter or Instagram and look for the link. 
were Signal Radio HFX. Our reporters were Corey Funk, Nick Frew, Lemma El Azrak, and Jonah Cole. Chelsea Rosansky was our producer. Thanks to our technician, Mark Pinio. Pauline Dakin is our audio professor. I'm Grace Power. And I'm Colin Slark. Thanks for listening, and hopefully, laughing. <laughs>